Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. In this special Halloween-themed episode, we'll be guiding you through the graveyard of bad HR practices, creepy cases, and hair-raising HR challenges that have sent shivers down the spines of HR professionals. Ghastly grievances, wicked workplaces, and spooky stories from our experiences in the world of work. And to join us around the fire today, we're delighted to be joined by Megan Power, HR consultant here at Inside HR. Thanks for joining us again, Megan. How are you? I'm good, Owen. Thanks for having me. Brilliant stuff. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. Looking forward to this episode. Brilliant stuff. And uh, forgive me enough of the cheese. Now we'll jump right into the, the proper conversation. Um, so, Megan, look, first up, something that kind of jumped into my head straight away when we were discussing what we chatted about today, and also because of the look, it's just a play on words. Uh, ghosting in recruitment is something that kind of jumped into both of our heads, I think, Megan. Can you talk to us a little bit about this? Why does it happen? How can it affect an organization? How can we avoid it? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Owen. I mean, for those lucky not to have experienced it or know what it is, and maybe perhaps now that they're listening in, will now realize they have been ghosted. Uh, ghosting has crossed over to us kind of in the employment landscape from the dating world. Um, I'm sure it's probably, if it hasn't already, it's going to make its way into the dictionary with an actual d- definition. But if I was to summarize it, I'd say it's essentially when someone stops contacting you completely, supposedly out of the blue. And in the dating context, that might be after one or two dates. But I suppose sometimes we hear of horror stories in that regard um, where relationships that are much longer established um, fall foul to to ghosting. Um, For recruitment, it's when someone in the recruiting relationship stops making contact um, all of a sudden. Um, I think we saw ghosting and recruitment initially being coined when employers or typically recruiters, um, you know, did ghost employees. Um, So by that, I mean, you know, having met employees jump through the necessary hoops, the screening calls, the interviews, um, employees then finding their application stonewalled without without reason um, with follow up emails to recruiters or employers directly and calls going um, unanswered. Um, I guess from my side of the fence, in, in the HR side of things, I, I, I strongly feel it's not a one-way system anymore um, and employers too can be on the receiving end um, of that silent treatment and become, I, I can fall foul to, to ghosting. Um, from a candidate's perspective, I suppose we've seen large social media campaigns urging employers and the recruiters they hire to fill positions to do better um, in terms of the recruitment and the candidate experience. Um, you know, we see people taking time off work um, to attend, in some cases, more than one interview, you know, and never hearing back. You know, you can imagine how demoralizing for the candidate um, this can be, and it certainly doesn't paint 
the employer in any good light. Um, for me personally, as a HR professional, if you're picking up the phone to chat to someone, you know, even in a screening call capacity, um, as a matter of respect and courtesy, you know, giving feedback if you're not moving forward to that with that application is warranted. Certainly, best practice dictates that you should get back to everyone who applies for your role. However, appreciating that when there is an overwhelming amount of applications, this may not be impossible. This may not be possible for smaller, you know, employers. Um, employers can sometimes be of the view that liability for claims doesn't start until someone commences employment with an organisation. Um, but that is that is certainly not the case. Um, you know, and equality extends to the recruitment process. And as an employer, you need to ensure you're being fair in your decisions um, with, respect, with respect to recruitment and keeping records on your processes and your decision making in line with, with good old GDPR. Um, I suppose we're certainly seeing a trend upwards in ghosting from employees, notwithstanding the fact that unemployment is not at an all-time low um, at the moment, so it still very much is a candidate market. Um, and we're seeing this at very late stages in the recruitment process. So, you know, employee, sorry, candidates who've been invited to interview failing to show up and communicate that they're, they're not coming to the interview um, to accept an offer. Um, and then an employer never hearing back um, when it tries to progress to talk about, you know, their, their start date and everything like that um, to people not turning up on the first day. Um, so, you know, an employer having gone through that process, offered, you know, the the employee the position, possibly even issued the contract of employment to them just not showing up on the first day. So I've had a couple of clients recently affected by those um, scenarios and they're nightmare, um, you know, scenarios because without, without reason, without realizing you're back to, to, to the drawing board and you've probably told your staff that you've got someone joining and then suddenly um, suddenly it's changed. Um, so for me, it's a two-way street. I'd be advising both the employer and the candidate to communicate throughout the process. Um, the employer does have much heavier obligations in this regard and should be adhering to best practice at all time. If you don't proceed with the candidate's application, make every effort to let them know um, if a candidate decides to not to progress their application, um, they should let the employer know a, a simple email to say you're no longer available and you've decided to withdraw from the recruitment process can go a huge, can go a huge way. Um, and in all honesty for both, I, I do think Ireland is too small a place um, to run the risk on either side, either from getting a poor reputation as an employer um, in respect of that hiring process and kind of your brand um, and the candidate, you know, if you're if you're looking down the line, um, you know, for a job and you have ghosted um, uh, an employer, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't bode well um, in terms of, you know, how they'll they'll perceive you um, if you look for a job um, at a later stage. So, yeah, my two cents on ghosting. Definitely and a great point to finish on. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, because I think it's a great point just to raise at the end because I suppose no matter what side of the coin and no matter the, what the reasons are, there can be negative consequences there. So it's great to great to get a sense of that there. First, first little scary horror story, and I'm sure a lot of people shivered as the thought of that as well. Um, look, Mary, I, I know we said we'd cover a couple of cases as well, and you uh, actually highlighted a case, as we said, 
it might kind of send shivers down the spine of many HR teams because it's quite a tricky one. And we've we had a quick look at it beforehand. But can you talk to us a little bit about the case you want to speak about, the big issues, what we can learn from it, that kind of stuff? Yeah, thanks, Owen. And and just add a, a bit more cheese to to our cheese. <laughs> uh, I've got plenty of dreadful HR days uh, or HR stories that will send shivers down people's spine. Um, this one in particular, I thought it was interesting, um, and it's a. a an incident that occurred in October 2022 involving uh, SuperValue in Carlo. And um, it related to an employee who uh, was an alcoholic and uh, a recognised disability. And um, on in October 2020, he attended work uh, he was the sole person uh, in responsibility uh, there at uh, the supermarket. And um, he was covering while the family were away at a wedding. And he drank so much alcohol that he became unconscious at work, causing alarm, obviously, to his colleagues. And, and I'm sure from a customer perspective, wasn't ideal. He was suspended. And he went to Ashiree, which is the alcohol uh, treatment centre, residential treatment centre, where he uh, completed, uh, successfully completed um, a rehabilitation programme. When he came back, um, he attended a, a an investigation meeting uh, where he had admitted to being seriously intoxicated at work, but said that he was a changed man, um, that the treatment program had been successful and appealed for an opportunity. Again, at a disciplinary hearing on the 18th of January 2021, um, he appealed for another chance but was actually dismissed on the 25th of January 2021. He lodged an appeal as, you know, is probably pretty standard these days, um, roughly a month later, um, and the company upheld the decision to dismiss him. Um, he was unhappy, lodged a WRC claim for discrimination um, at the hearing, he expressed his remorse. He outlined the devastating impact the dismissal had on his life, which involved him having to move house, having to take a lower paid position. Uh, his wife had to move jobs. And um, he outlined this as having had this devastating impact on his life. Um, the company, on the other hand, argued that there was a breach of trust and therefore they could not consider any lower paid or alternative role for him and that dismissal was the only option open to him. Interestingly, the WRC said that the breach of trust wasn't provided for within the equality legislation. and. Um, because he had a disability and no reasonable accommodation um, was considered for that disability. Um, he was given an award 
uh, of 39,750 euro. So from an employer perspective and a HR perspective, sometimes we feel that we're absolutely right and on the right road and on the right track and that the employee's behavior is so appalling and terrifying um, that this amounts to enough to dismiss an individual, but forgetting um, that alcoholism, uh, which is a recognised disability, may be viewed differently if you find yourself uh, with someone taking an equality claim. So again, another story that may, might send shivers down the spine uh, for HR people out there. And it's not the first time we've seen um, people assume that drug addiction or alcohol addiction uh, is a dismissible offence, particularly if drugs or alcohol are consumed on the premises during working hours. So just be careful. You don't want to find yourself uh, facing that kind of horror, particularly when a, when, when a very large award, the maximum that could have been uh, paid out was 40,000 and the adjudicator gave 39,750. Mm. So there you go. You just wonder where the extra 250 went, but it's something that we'll actually, uh, <laughs> something we'll come back to, I think, in later in the conversation with America, because there's a lot to unpick there as well. And uh, I suppose to guide employers through, but as, as you said, quite a scary one to, to think about. A very human issue, a lot of different facets, appeals, equality, the whole lot. Um, so we'll come back to that, I think, in, in a moment. Um, the reason I say that is because, Megan, you have another case as well um, that you wanted to, to raise a bit of a bit of a frightening one. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about this case, big issues, what can HR teams learn? Yeah, big issues. It's a recent, it's a recent case. Um, in in it, we see a substantial employer in Ireland, well-known employer in Ireland, having to to defend itself in how it handled a complaint of sexual harassment within the workplace. I think, interestingly, for and this is just for HR professionals, the complainant who who won, um, who the adjudication officer ruled in their favour, and um, was still employed with the organisation at the time the award was granted, um. In this case, the employee alleged they were inappropriately touched by a colleague. Um, they made an attempt to informally address the issue with the colleague directly, um, but an argument ensued and no resolution was found. Um, the company was made aware at that stage and a few days later, the complainant lodged their complaint um, with the company. Fast forward approximately three months and the complainant was informed that the investigation into the allegation of sexual harassment was inconclusive. Um, however, the complainant was never interviewed as part of the process and only got to speak with HR after the conclusion of the investigation. The investigator used the written statement that the complainant had provided and an interview with the alleged harasser who said they did not have any knowledge of the incident. They reviewed CCTV footage as part of the investigation and found that there was insufficient evidence to uphold the complaint. The complainant actually moved work location themselves um, to avoid having to work with the alleged harasser. And if you look into the full details of the case, um, I think quite an uncomfortable work environment was alleged that the complainant um, had to kind of experience for a while um, with the um, alleged harasser claiming innocence um, and calling, you know, I suppose, um, 
calling doubt on what the complainant had um, alleged had happened. Um, the complainant argued strongly that the company had not followed its own policies and procedures in relation to complaints of, of harassment. So unsurprisingly, I think for HR professionals, uh, with that snippet of what happened, the adjudication officer, as I said, ruled in the complainant's favour, finding that the procedures followed had fallen to, quote, very short of what is required by the code of practice in respect of investigating claims of harassment. They ordered, so not dissimilar to Mary's case, they ordered two years compensation to be paid to the complainant, which totaled a sum of €53,560. So no small, no small sum. For an organisation of its size, it was noted that they had the knowledge and the resources to comply better with policies and codes of practice. And it's a lesson learned for larger organisations that they may be required to provide larger payments than they would otherwise as a way of ensuring such incidents don't happen again. And I suppose while it can seem overwhelming, and I know we probably have people listening in thinking, but they investigated, you know, they investigated. The case shows you that how you do something as an employer is so important. So even just looking at the overview of that case, like that we've just done there, as HR professionals, I'm sure if I ask some of our listeners, we can all spot gaps from the time it took, the lack of interviews, the lack of following policies. I mean, this is a big organisation. Um, it's very likely that their uh, dignity at work policy complies with the code of practice, yet the procedure doesn't indicate that at all. Um, a significant lack of communication. I, I, I could go on. Um, and I suppose I just want to compare it and show that it's not all it's not all hopeless, and and just look at another case that's just come out as well, where uh, another big player um, in Ireland, RTE, found themselves defending a claim in relation to se sexual harassment and did so successfully. They were able to defend their actions in full, um, including following their policies and procedures to a T. Policies and procedures were, which were in line with the code of practice, taking swift actions. And this, this last piece is really important, um, is appointing a competent and trained person to carry out the investigation. And, and that's, a, that's a huge piece. Um, and it's a huge piece that I speak to clients about often um, when they say, I'm going to take this on. And, you know, we recommend, and it's not just because we have an investigations team that is, is trained and competent, you know, the person that carries out investigations, especially when we're looking at, you know, big issues like sexual harassment, they need to know um, what they are doing. Um, and I suppose the RTE case shows positively that you're not automatically exposed to legal risk if sexual harassment occurs in your workplace if you can show you've taken reasonable steps to prevent the harassment appropriately and address any allegations um, that arise. Definitely. And it's an important point to, to kind of finish on it as well about the overall view and getting things right. I suppose I'll come. We'll just discuss them a bit further now, I think, and, and the general themes that come out of it. I suppose, Mary, when we talk about these cases being scary to deal with, I know it's we're obviously in jest with the with the, the title of the, the episode, but these are kind, kind of scary situations for HR people to be in. I mean, very human issues, sexual harassment, um, alcoholism, disability, all these kind of things. They can be, I mean, nobody wants to get these things wrong, Mary, so they can be quite tricky, a little bit scary for HR professionals because they want to get everything right, don't they? 
Absolutely. And it's, it, it's, you know, being in HR is a challenging role, um, particularly if you're in a role where you have, you know, a responsibility around employee relations or industrial relations issues. And so often um, people are finding themselves you know, dealing with something that they've never experienced before and not quite knowing what it is they should do. Um, we see an awful lot of uh, HR horror stories here um, and maybe arguably because we get the most complex of situations um, to, to investigate or to uh, provide guidance and support to our clients on because the day-to-day -day typically can be handled in-house quite comfortably and quite successfully. So the minor grievances, the minor complaints, um, you know, the less tricky the situation, the more likely people are going to give it a go and give the, you know, chance it uh, in their own environment. When it comes to something like bullying and, you know, one of the scariest things any HR person at any level, whether you're HR director, whether you're junior in HR, whether you're in a large team or or all by yourself and standalone, a complaint against the CEO. I think that's probably the most terrifying thing that you're going to deal with, the most senior person in the organization and someone pointing the finger at that CEO. And often in those particular circumstances, uh, HR and management alike don't know what to do, don't know how best to approach the situation. Um, but again, I would always say it's important to reach out to experts in this area, whether it's people like us or people like a, an employment law solicitor for, for guidance around how to comply with your own policies and procedures, no matter what the circumstances actually are. Um, because as Megan highlighted in, in the case, the two cases she talked about there, uh, both large organisations, sometimes there's a, a more confidence in those organizations that we have it all covered because we have, you know, various specialists or we have the HR function divided into areas with, with capable people in each of them. That doesn't protect and guarantee that it, something is going to happen in the organization that we're unclear or unsure about what steps we should take or how to follow them. You know, forgetting to interview the complainant is a big mistake um, in any process, because actually in any investigation, that's exactly where you're going to start with the complainant, trying to understand what it is the complainant's evidence is uh, before you go and speak to anybody else. Um, and so the how you deal with any complaint right at the outset is key to ensuring that you're able to defend these uh, situations later in the WRC. Because when you get there, the sympathy is there for the employee, uh, without a doubt. Um, and you have a job to present your paper trail uh, to demonstrate that you have done everything that's fair and reasonable and complied with your uh, policies and procedures. So to me, probably one of the scariest things is a complaint coming across your desk about the CEO. I think that's probably every HR person's nightmare. And the other one is that um, WRC letter that comes in the door 
and uh, sitting on your desk and you've advised on the situation. Maybe you've handled the disciplinary process. Maybe you've handled the appeal. Maybe you've conducted the investigation, handled the disciplinary process and the appeal, all major no-nos. Um, uh, all in the one process and next thing you've got something on your desk on your plate that frightens you causes you to lose sleep and you know that it's now entered the public domain uh, and may cost your organization money so you know get your help get your advice get your support you know, half an hour on the phone discussing something and making sure you you, you have the right approach uh, is key to avoiding these, um, you know, spooky, nightmarish events from occurring. Definitely. And look, I suppose kind of similar question to yourself then, Megan, when it comes to those cases that might reach WRC stage or they might get to those kind of scary stages, as Mary says, I mean, is there any kind of common pitfalls that employers tend to tend to be, I suppose, commonalities between all these cases and issues that we see. I know you mentioned how you do things is probably a big one. Any, any else, anything else in that kind of regard, common pitfalls, things to avoid? Unfamiliarity with your own policies and procedures. So oftentimes we might be called in um, for advice when processes have already kicked off. And like one of the first things we'll ask for if we don't have it on file already is, you know, can I take a look at your dignity? Um, you know, can I take a look at your dignity at work policy and see what process, um, you know, you you should be following. Um, and oftentimes we've already we've already veered away from the policy, um, and we need to to come back towards that. So not understanding or not following your policies and 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 procedures, um, just because it's it's one that's it's one that's uh, come across my desk recently. Um, knowing the limitations of your HR function um, and when it is appropriate to employ, um, you know, an outside third party to conduct an investigation. And that's, there, that's you know, there, there's no shame in that. Um, you, know, if, you know, if it's a very complicated issue and typically we're seeing that around complaints, sexual harassment, bullying, that sort of thing that need to be investigated. If you haven't had someone that's dealt with that before, um, looking at possibly appointing someone who has and is trained and is competent and you could maybe take the HR person along with them and, and, and show them and give them exposure um, is, is, worth, is worth considering. Um, and you can even see with the successful case I spoke about there with RT, I mean, that's a huge or organization, I don't know how big their HR function is, but I would imagine it's quite significant. And as Mary said, probably divided into specialist areas around recruitment, ER, that sort of thing. And they brought in, they brought in someone from outside the organization to investigate, um, and it worked. Um, and that person investigated that claim um, fairly. Uh, for for more context, I believe in that case, the um, alleged harasser was actually dismissed um, and that didn't stop the complainant from bringing a claim against the organisation because they felt there was failings in regards to the company, not just the alleged harasser, um, but they obviously weren't successful um, in that regard. So that's a, that's another one, just because I've seen it come up, like I said, it's crossed my desk a couple of times um, where someone's never done this before and is about to dive in and it's just maybe about taking a step back and saying, are we 
are we trained? Are we competent to do this? Or do we need to ask for outside help? Definitely. And it can be money well spent, which is not something I think RT would be would have liked to be tangling with, I suppose, this summer again. So it is positive that yeah. they, they did spend, spend that money on something that was uh, beneficial yeah. for them. I think they were looking at, I think they were possibly looking at 300,000 of a payout mm. um, if, this, if the complainant had won the max. So um, yeah, money, money, money well spent um, indeed. And you are looking at look, two sums that we've spoken about in both those cases were not minimal by any stretch of the imagination. So um, you do have to look at it in that regard as well um, and what you could be liable for if this goes wrong. Definitely. I think as well, you you also have to factor in the cost of your legal advice and and your defence when you get to that point too. So it's not, we look at the award and let's say for um, Connolly Supervalue, the award being 39,750 and, um, you know, did they have barristers? Did they have solicitor on record? All these things cost money and you can see the the time that it takes for the people within the organisation to either attend as witnesses at a WRC hearing, to um, prepare uh, for the case and all of that. There's a huge amount of cost involved in defending uh, claims at the WRC. So, you know, for whatever your HR processes are, you really have to think them through carefully. Going things alone, um, absolutely, if you know what you're doing. But you know, when it comes to investigations, disciplinary processes, and all of those things that are high risk for the organisation, you really do need somebody somewhere in the background kind of guiding you and making sure that your decisions are uh, robust and can be backed up and that you can stand over them and that when you do come into the public domain that you're not going to be embarrassed as an organization because of what you've actually done mm-hmm. and i suppose to kind of or as a professional hr person exactly yeah and i suppose to kind of turn the, the light back on in the room mary i think the final question then when it comes to i mean preventing these things long term and last bit of cheese i swear so you're not haunted by the mistakes that you've made in the past <laughs> it is important mary to kind of learn those things and avoid those pitfalls long term i mean the support isn't just there to fix something in the now it's it's there to equip hr teams and companies with that protection going forward as well isn't it for their employees too yeah so whatever the challenge whether it's recruitment performance discipline growth downsizing cost cutting you know restructuring to pay whatever whatever the the challenge you're facing um, and for every everything that the organization does, um, there are human beings involved, whether that's, you know, opportunities for training, opportunities for promotion, internal rejigs, whatever it is. There's always challenges when you come to dealing with the human being. And so it's it's about, I think, really being thoughtful and careful about your processes, knowing, like Megan says, the limitations of your function. If you're standalone, you are going to need support, you know, without a doubt. 
fighting for budget to get it is a whole different ball game. Um, you know, and the larger an organization, there may be elements of um, your HR that you, you do choose to outsource. But I would always say, and I, I have always followed this approach myself when I worked in-house. I always had a good employment law solicitor on hand um, for really tricky stuff and maybe defence. But I always also had, where I could get it, where I could have the budget, uh, an external organisation where I could bring the tricky stuff to as well, because that helps you to do a better job um, and to provide more robust uh, advice and support internally um, by being able to go and double check some of the tricky stuff outside of your organization. So it's well worth the investment because, you know, I guess, how do you know something's going to turn into a nightmare until actually you're bang slap in the middle of a nightmare? We we can foresee things ourselves here, you know, through mistakes. And, uh, you know, we often talk about things like GDPR. GDPR, I think, does actually um, send chills down the spine of most HR people, managers, employers, because, you know, it's such an extensive piece of um, regulation um, that it's, and human error comes into it all the time. Mistakes are made. You send the wrong email to someone. You, somebody holds on to information for longer than they should have. Uh, we don't delete stuff on time. You know, there's so many things that can and do go wrong in HR um, and across organizations that, um, you know, we really do need to be thoughtful and careful. And look, I hope we're not putting off any young future HR people <laughs> from from continuing or joining the profession. Um, it also has um, many, many good points and good sides and a, a great and interesting role. Uh, for anyone out there in HR. 100% and a great point to finish on because again I suppose with when the things go wrong there is support but again there is a lot of great stuff in HR as well uh, it's not all big bad and scary so look, thank you Megan and Mary for a very um, insightful discussion and very on brand for what we're, we're hoping to chat about as, I suppose with our Halloween team thank you to everyone for listening uh, we'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast so don't, so don't sorry, forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels if you are enjoying these episodes, do please feel free to share them with colleagues, friends, and family. And even better, if you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're on, we'd really appreciate it. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. And don't be afraid to pick up the phone. <laughs> I'm done, sorry. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Mary. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR.
whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.